Bargo, folks. Good morning, landlord. My name is Warrington Minge. I have just seen Macabentine at Chiswick, and he said that I'm a genius. <laughs> we don't get the Michael Parkinson show in Australia, and that's why I'm here. And then it came to the crunch, and I said, uh, I, uh, it, it's me. He said, what? I said, it's me, Peter Sellers talking, and it's the only way I could get to you. And would you give me a date on your show? And he said, you cheeky young sod, he said. <laughs> he said, what do you do? I said, well, obviously do impersonations. <laughs> and Anthony Quayle is pretty straight-faced. Actually, he was once described, obviously very wrongly, by um, uh, John Gielgud as having a face like two tins of condemned veal. <laughs> That's a lead retreats, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing my uniform back to front. I thought I was advancing, but I was begging for the Maffy. Anyway, uh, one night I remember in, we were in Agatala in Assam, and it was Christmas Eve, and I never spent Christmas Eve in a hot country, and I was far away from home, and I was thinking, my mum wants me at home. <laughs> She's never been to Eton, you know. Oh, do just to do the drains, mate. But you... <laughs> Welcome to Goon Pod. Uh, I'm very lucky today to be joined by John Williams. Hi, Tyler. Um, you are a relatively latecomer to the podcast. I think you really only discovered it, what, fag end of last year? Something like that. Am I allowed to say fag end these days? Yeah, fag end of last year? It was, it was something like that. I think what brought it to my, I think I'd noticed it before, but brought it to my attention, I think, was because you interviewed Louis Barth, um, yep. about Angela Morley, and mm. uh, Louis a very old friend of mine. Okay. Um, we go we go back a long way, so I thought, oh, that'll be interesting to 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 listen to that. And then I sort of got sucked in to the whole back catalogue that you've got, Tyler. So that was, uh, and it sort of got me quite interested in the goons again, basically, which I hadn't been for quite a while. It's always been looming in the background as something I knew I would return to but the uh the fact that they're also quite easily available on um spotify and other area, things like that because the uh, I, I didn't get the goon show compendium i sort of missed out on buying those and then they ended up costing a fortune so but then when i realized they're easily available in downloadable form i um because i like to get the fullest episodes i started plugging my way through that so yeah so that's the that's what's which really piqued my interest again brilliant brilliant and and it's fair to say that you're a bit of a how would you describe yourself a, a, a an archive TV enthusiast? Yeah, that that has some unfortunate connotations, doesn't it? That phrase, mm. <laughs> the kind of the enthusiast, <laughs> having hung around some of the sort of internet areas with archive TV archive specialists around, I think they're quite a, an interesting bunch. Yeah, men, I mean, but men, I, on, I, men on forums, mm. men on forums, yeah. yes, men on forums, a bit kind of. 
you know, solipsistic monomaniacs may be a bit extreme way of describing them, <laughs> but it's not not necessarily inaccurate. But I think, yeah, I've, I've done, done a few things over the years. Um, I uh, co-edited a book on Dennis Potter's um, TV criticism mm -hmm. um, and have did some work for Screen Online, the BFI Screen Online, yeah. focusing oddly on a, a range between soap opera and Euston Films left-wing playwrights that seems to be the areas that I did a lot of work for 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 screen online back okay. in the day when that was a going enterprise so yeah I've been and and there are certain things that, that are a particular interest uh I've written for Doctor Who magazine so that that's another thing that I've, I've, I've interest so yeah so I, I kind of do a lot of research on tv and have done over the years and been to the written archive center the BBC written archive center on a few projects mm -hmm. as well so yeah so that's basically the kind of stuff that that, that I've done in the past um mainly now focusing on things that i've just had an interest for very many years like the goons like sellers and milligan brilliant okay today we're going to focus on um a couple of parkinson michael parkinson interviews um one with uh, one that he conducted with peter sellers in 1974 and uh, uh an earlier interview um parkinson meets the goons which uh, i'm sure that most listeners to this podcast will be aware of and both were actually issued on lp uh, mm -hmm. which is what what they used to do back in uh, the 70s and early 80s they'd uh, issue lps of television interviews and things like that and television sitcoms remember the faulty towers lp and things like that absolutely i had i think it was the faulty towers album uh, second sitting which had uh, the builders and basil the rat so even now when i see those episodes i can hear andrew Sachs's uh, commentary over the top because they had to explain the bits that, that were visual <laughs> with Andrew Sachs in character as Manuel. Yeah. Mr. Faulty, he angry. Yes. The rat, the rat ends with, because of course it's Basil being dragged out by Manuel. And uh, the, the, the episode ends with him going, Manuel saying, uh, then Mr. Faulty, he faint on floor. And that's literally the end of the uh, episode. So yes, I, I, there was loads of those. And in my local library, there was lots and lots of spoken word stuff that you could get out for like 5p yeah. um, ago. And it was just an enormous amount of stuff like that. But so, I don't know, I'm um, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Hancock, probably where I first heard the goons would have been um, probably the Lurgy um, episode on one of the albums that mm -hmm. I got from Long Eaton Library. So, yeah, there was they did used to issue a lot of things, but it's quite interesting that it's again it's that comedy tie-in isn't it because they weren't releasing other michael parkinson uh interviews on lp or cassette were they at the time which no. also also makes these stand out quite a bit i think that's a very good point actually i never thought about that but i hope i can't remember seeing any any other michael parkinson lps in the you know the days i used to trawl through secondhand record shops and whatnot i think there's a harry stoneham um does the music from Parkinson album? Well, I know there is because, as I mentioned, as mentioned before, Louis Barth. Louis Barth has a prized copy of that. It's got an excellent photo on the cover of uh, Parkinson and Harry Stone and the band leader lying on a boat going up going up a river. It's quite something. Oh, uh, like they're eloping or something. <laughs> Do you remember when you used to be able to go into HMV or the Virgin Megastore and they'd have quite a sizable comedy section of mm -hmm. you know cds or tapes a decent size hmv you could you could walk in there and you could be assured of you know cheech and chong cds and 
<laughs> Bill Cosby, I suppose, yeah. and people like that. But you'd also get, you know, you get Derek and Clive, of course, and uh, Python. Yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, and they were they were almost the, kind of the Python albums were other ones as well because my brother used to get those out and we used to listen to those endlessly. And they were you, it was easy. That's that's the point, wasn't it? They were so big at the time those releases because of the fact that you couldn't get the the actual things, you couldn't get the videos, could you? No, specifically through the seventies through right through to the um, early 80s when videos started to emerge. So it was your way of getting access to them other than going to the cinema to see the Python films. And uh, so, but they were, the Python albums were like works of art, weren't they? In their own way, you know, yeah. they were different. They were added to, they were new content as well. Whereas, uh, and yeah, and we used to get that long in library. I mean, it did, they just didn't understand what Derek and Clive was, I think, because they had a Derek and Clive in there and they let me get it out. And uh, I would have been about, I don't know, maybe even still at primary school. So that was a bit flabbergasting, really. But lordy, anyway. <laughs> lordy, lordy, lordy. I just don't think they knew what it was. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to talk about, as I say, we're going to talk about Parkinson. I mean, there may be people, because we do have an international, mm-hmm. Goompod does have an international audience, and there may be people out there in america I'm, I'm thinking mainly um who who were unaware of michael parkinson but he was i think it's fair to say he was the preeminent television talk show host of the 70s i was gonna say 70s and 80s but he he right up until what 2010 or something did he it was yeah it was in the 2000s wasn't it because he I think, and running off the top of my head, I think his, his big the kind of imperial phase, I suppose you'd call it, would be 71 to 82-ish on BBC, mm. when he actually went, it wasn't just Saturday nights, he, later on he went to Wednesdays, midweek as well. And then he packed it in and did various other projects, but then he came back to the BBC and then and then debunked again and went to the, um, decamped again and went back to ITV. Um, and it, so it wasn't continuous, but he was, um, and it should, should be said as well about Parkinson. He used to do, um, um, uh, shows down in Australia, didn't he? He did as he well. Did. He yeah. sort of, in, in, when he wasn't on TV <clears throat> in the UK, he was doing his Australian show. And I've seen some of those actually. And it's, it's quite weird to see the exact same format, um, kind of replicated over there because it basically essentially is, and I suppose, why not? Can I, can, can I ask you on a slightly more serious note, too? Yes. Because um, since you last were, were in Australia, I think, um, of course, uh, Peter died. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, I will ask you the sort of obvious questions about it, but you, you <coughs> went along to the funeral, didn't you? Yes, I was at the funeral, which was quite uh, a bizarre affair because it was the worst thunderstorm for years in London at that time, you know, at, at the time of the, of the, uh, the ceremony. And there were lots of, lots of people outside. You know, Mm. But this uh, gold is green, it was a rose red city, half as gold as green. And there were so many people there, and all these photographers, and this terrible thunder and lightning. And only a few of us were allowed into the, <coughs> into the actual chapel. Mike Bentina, Spike, and myself, we were all sitting together. And Father Hester, the Baptist Church Union chaplain, gave the address and said uh, at the end of it, before they committed the, the body for burial, that. that uh, Peter would like uh, a certain piece of music played <clears throat> at the time of committal. And we all sat back waiting for something like a Bach fugue or something. And it was Glenn Miller in the mood. <laughs> and we all looked at each other with wild surmise, not knowing whether to yeah. laugh or not. <laughs> and it was very strange whether, whether it was a, 
Spike thinks it was a, one of Peter's jokes mm. from from the grave, but um, I don't know. It, it's all very confusing. Mm -hmm. But no, he was. I suppose in the seventies, he was sort of kind of our Johnny Carson, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and yeah, I mean, it, it was a big deal. And then maybe what we'll talk about is sometimes it was quite late night when Match of the Day was on. It was and he basically closely followed that. It was quite frequently on at sort of gone half eleven which in itself was quite unusual to have a sort of, other than a late film, to have that kind of new content um, on then. So he really kind of like was quite a trailblazer, at least in this country doing that. And um, he used to get some really big stars on there. Um, and often, not not particularly when they had anything to plug. And I think that's what's quite interesting. Yes. Looking yeah. back, people used to come on literally for a chat. Peter Cook used to come on without having any particular. Uh, Billy, Billy Connolly. Yeah, exactly. It was, um, and then so you'd have kind of like Jimmy Stewart would turn up one week and um, Ingrid Bergman would be on. And Parkinson was, I suppose, an interesting character because he, he wasn't a sort of showbiz guy. He was a journalist and he'd come up from Granada uh, in the 60s. He did a lot of journalism kind of shows and um, current affairs shows. And then he made this kind of leap he, he presented a program called cinema because he's a real cinema buff as becomes very clear through the yeah through the interview with sellers um probably the great bit of common ground that they had and then he became this sort of mainstay of tv and of course mainstay of the impressionist because uh people he, he was one of the great voices that people wanted to impersonate um so he became one of those real a figure that everyone knew and obviously he attracted a lot of criticism as well but it was um, the thing, I think looking back on it now, if we're doing the sort of summary of Parkinson, was that what comes over, and I've seen quite a lot of the old Parkinsons, is that he's fine when he's with a kind of milieu that he's comfortable with. Most of the time that means other men. Um, <laughs> most right. of the times that means kind of um, people are either film stars <laughs> who he worshipped and they're kind of put on a pedestal or or people who share a kind of cultural background with and cultural touchstones as well or yeah. people people from barnsley yeah there's the there's the yorkshire bit which is mm. um we, he was the kind of like the first one i was conscious of as being like the professional yorkshireman i mean yeah alongside jeffrey boycott um that was where that kind of professional yorkshire yorkshireman came around really but it, it's uh it's some of his in interviews with contemporary um actresses that come across really badly now uh, the famous one or the infamous one is Helen Mirren, I think, where Helen doesn't put up with his kind of male chauvinism and gives him what for. So I, one thing that comes across a little bit, I think, with these and it, to, and to an extent with the sellers, but with, with the goons, he's very comfortable tittering away at people who he's kind of, you know, it's that kind of it's a bit of a boys club because you couldn't you couldn't avoid Parkinson. I mean, his only challenger. I guess in the seventies, but he never really got network. Was Russell Harty? He didn't get net. Russell Harty was on uh, on LWT, mm -hmm. and for very weird reasons, partly to do with a vendetta from Lou Grade, who was in charge of ATV. They Lou Grade would never allow Harty's programs to be uh, networked, and it was only when Harty got onto the BBC round about the time, initially BBC Two and then BBC One, that Parkinson departed. Um, uh, that, that there was anybody else who was sort of anything like Parkinson was. But it's that sort of late night Saturday after match of the day, 
and it was in that era when the BBC dominated the ratings all of the way through Saturday late yeah. afternoon, yeah. and Parkinson yeah. was the sort of end of the day, and it was a really, you know, it's 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 the it's the kind of it was a watertight schedule that ITV just didn't have a hope against it basically. Yeah, um, and he was very much part of that. For the first time, I watched Ghost Watch last year. <laughs> Parkinson never fully stopped the TV interview shows, as as we've referred to, but he also. I mean, he did things like um, give us a clue. Yes, um, he did. Um, <laughs> he did but, do but, give us a clue after after Aspel left, and he also did Desert Island Discs. He did, and 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 as I say, Ghostwatch, which um, which I as I say, I watched it with friends for the first time last year, and I was very underwhelmed by it, shall we say, for about four fifths of it, and in the, the last I don't know ten fifteen minutes, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> um, but if anyone's not seen Ghost Watch presented by Michael Parkinson, um, it's worth a it's worth a watch. It's it's bonkers, but it is worth a watch, particularly the end. It's it's uh, definitely worth watching. I think part of Ghost Watch that is lost a little bit now is how expertly it um not so much parodies, but almost exactly copies the style of the sort of those kind of shows, those sort of shows involving the public, shows with multi-camera and multi-locations, that there used to be loads of those yeah, yeah. around yeah. at that time. And it copies them perfectly where you've got these random celebrities presenting from different areas. And it's just uh, it, 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 that one of the reasons it had such an impact, I think, I think is that is if, the, if you just weren't concentrating, it, it copied the, the style so well that people were lulled into a false sense of security, you know, security about that. Uh, because now it looks alien in that sense as well, because you don't quite get those programs in the same way anymore. Parkinson kind of uh, impressed me, maybe apart from the very last moment, I thought Parkinson um, and Sarah Green, actually. Um, I quite like the last, I quite like the last moment. <laughs> camera, man. I mean, it's difficult to know, even if anybody's still, with us but if they are this is the the scene in this in this studio this totally deserted studio autocue's working round and round the garden like a teddy bear Again, American listeners might, may know Michael Parkinson or know not to not by name. Um, he was on the cover of uh, Band on the Run, of course. Of course, um, yes, yes. I tend to tend to forget that. Can you remember who else was on there? Yeah, I I think so. Let me have a stab. That's a good question. Um, mm-hmm. cool. Clement Freud. Whisper his name these yes, days. Yes, yes. I, I'm I'm just you can you can bleep that one out if you like. Um, uh, Penny Lynch. Kenny Lynch, who once tried to chat up my mother-in-law. Interesting right. character, Kenny. Wrote, wrote. I always forget the really quite good song he wrote, one of his more famous ones, because he was quite, a, yeah, he was quite a kind of, um, not prolific, but he wrote quite a lot of songs in the 60s, didn't he? He and did. around with that scene. Didn't he, right, didn't he have some involvement, no, not involvement with the writing of the Beatles song, from me to you, but he was there when they were writing it on a bus. They're on a bus to Blackpool or something back in 1963, and he was there with them. 
That makes sense. sense because yeah, that wasn't wasn't there a letters page in the Melody Maker called From From You to Us? Yes. And that's where they that's where they got the title from. And they used to kind of do those tours with other people in the lineup, didn't they? You know, going on the bill. Yeah. So that wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me at all. He, he, yeah. he, wanted, he was a bit of a Zelig type, wasn't he, Kenny? <laughs> he he kind of crops up in unexpected <laughs> places. Now, yeah. going back to that band on the run cover, James Coburn. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, Michael Parkinson, we've mentioned. Mm. I'm coming up, I can visualize it, but I'm coming up dry. You're going to have to give me the rest. Well, there's, there's, of course, there's Paul and Linda and, yes, cool. and Denny, I think. Yeah. Denny Lane. Yeah. Um, Christopher Lee, of course. Of course. And uh, is it, forgive my pronunciation here, John Conte? Is it John, John Conte. Conte? John Conte. John Conte. Yeah, he was very big um, British Liverpoolian boxer at mm. the time mm. on TV all the time as well. He was he was a guest star on pretty much everything, ubiquitous around that. Right. Period. Yeah, I don't I don't hold with boxing, so uh, yeah, I've never never shown any interest in that. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that so that's Parkinson. That's a little crash course on Parkinson. Um, but we're going to talk about. First of all, we're going to talk about well, what should we start with? Should we start in chronological order, John? Or do you think we should start with the the Sellers interview first? What what do you reckon? Maybe we should start with the Sellers one. Yeah. Okay. First. And uh, because, I, I, yeah, I think there's the, there's, some, there's some interesting stuff about that. Not that there isn't about the other one, but you know, the Sellers one, I think, would be a good one to start with. Okay. So this was uh, the original broadcast of Parkinson interviewing Peter Sellers, which was just... Uh, it was just Sellers on his own. There were no other guests. Uh, and it was broadcast on the on Saturday, the 9th of November, 1974. Um, and it was billed as running for one hour in the Radio Times, but it actually ran for about one hour, eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And we were saying before we started recording that getting or finding a copy of the original as broadcast version is the devil's own job really yep. isn't it there was there's various there's a couple of well, there's this what three different versions i guess there's the there's an edited version which was broadcast on the 26th of july 1980 um which mm-hmm. was obviously what two days after sellers died so it was it was a a tribute broadcast um but it runs that runs only for about 57 58 minutes mm-hmm. and there's there's certainly some cuts as well some edits um which turn up in 1996 when there's uh, another broadcast of the interview, which is how long is that? Is that only about 40 it's minutes? Only, that's it? only 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course it was issued on LP, as we said before, which, which itself was, was edited and, and as well, the, the order was juggled around a little. Yeah. There is. So by my reckoning, um, there's a good five or six minutes at least that we haven't seen definitely i think the the interesting bit and you've alluded to it there is is that it the, the, the first version went out um and then the the tribute version which has got an introduction at the beginning from michael parkinson in tribute that seems to then become the source for the lp and cassette release Mm-hmm. What I think's happened is because, that, as you say, that's been edited anyway, and there would be practical reasons for that about you know balancing up the two sides 
at the LP and that kind of thing, mm. which may be why some of the jigging and some of the, there's some very short line cuts in there as well. Is that the, the but the interesting bit there is is that in the 1996 repeat, which was Parkinson meets Sellers or something like that, it was it was badge as it was part of a series of one-off interviews that he'd done. Um, they clearly went back to the 1974 transmission and and started afresh and used that as a source material, whereas I think the audios used the 1980 repeat because the audios all start with Parkinson's tribute. Mm. So, and the thing that's weird about the, because of that, the thing that's weird about the 1996 40-minute one is that it's got stuff that wasn't in the 1980 tribute. So one of the bit that leaps out is that... Um, it has the bit where he actually sort of goes through this particularly great moment where he just basically sort of goes through his wives and talks about what went wrong. It does. With yeah. his wives. Now, that's not in the tribute one. It just where he talks about, calls Brit Eklund Miss Impact. As you know, I've been married three times. Hmm. And um, on three occasions, it really didn't work, uh, mainly probably due to the fact that I'm impossible to live with. Although my first marriage was... I mean, that was entirely my fault, that broke up. Where was it? Oh, I just had a romance with somebody I was working with. And, um... You care to say who? Oh, well... Boom, diddy, boom, diddy, boom, diddy, boom. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I was terribly happily married. That was the thing. And I, um... Anyway. Second time, of course, with uh, Miss Impact. It, uh, <laughs> Miss Impact? Yeah, that's what I read in the paper anyway. <laughs> no. Miss Eckland? Miss Eckland, yes. Mm. yes. Now that didn't work because of, I don't know why it didn't really work, but anyway, good luck because she's a good try, Brit, and, um, and I think that was just a mismatch completely. Third time with Miranda, that didn't work, that was just wrong for some reason. Probably me again, I don't know what. But I think that somewhere there's somebody for everybody. They're very, very happy at this very moment. Uh, and it's just a strange thing that goes, and then, and then number three, he doesn't quite say number three, but then he says, yes, that didn't work out for some reason. Probably me. He keeps saying these kind of, <laughs> it's really, and you think, you think probably Peter, I think, I think definitely Peter uh, yeah. was, was the reason. But the, so what would be nice would be to get hold of 1974 transmission, but also what would be nice, just, just about something else, would be together. Are you familiar with the program as broadcast sheets that the BBC yes, do for their programs? Yes. Mm. Well, I've got the PAS B, as they they're called, yep. for the 1981. Which and the, the interesting thing about those is, apart from telling you exactly when they went out uh, and uh, and all of that stuff, it tells you any music that they use in there. Mm. And one of the things that's um, mentioned. Very briefly in the Roger Lewis um, biography of Sellers is that he, and I suspect he's seen the 1974 interview, he says that Sellers sings sometimes by Lionel Bart, which is in The Optimist of Nine Elms. Yes. And that, if we had the Paz B from the 1974, they would definitely include the reference to that. At the moment, all I've got to go on is the Lewis reference, but... My guess about that is, is that if they were suddenly rushing to put out uh, a tribute in 1980, because it was like within a couple of days notice, they may well have cut that out because of rights. 
because of line of, line of what now okay there's a george formby song in there and there's something else i don't know but it seems a bit suspicious to me that that was the one that they cut out mm. and also i wonder the the fact that they cut out the bit where he talks about his wives um i'm wondering if because he he implies that he had an affair with he doesn't name her but sophia, <laughs> La, sophia loren no by going boom diddy boom diddy boom diddy boom and there's a um, knowing laugh all around the audience, isn't there? Yeah. The, yeah. And I'm just wondering whether they, the, the BBC were a bit worried that that could cause some upset. Um, yeah, I don't, it's, it's entirely possible. It would be it, because it is, that's the bit that really sticks out. I'm trying to, there is, um, there's a few other things. There's a really inexplicable thing that when Sellers is reading out the various characters from the Book of the Goons, mm. um the one in the full version, and you can get the 1980 um, tribute version. It is on YouTube, even though they cut off all the bit at the beginning with um, uh, Sellers doing his German soldier bit. It's much longer, the bit on that version, the fuller version, than it is on the 1996 version. But in the 1996 version, the Duchess impression is included, but it's not on the tribute one. Mm. And again, they must have been having to juggle some things to do with timing for that possibly mm. because of the Parkinson introduction taking up some time. Yeah. And the thing that's a bit of a shame is, I mean, it's available, as I say, on YouTube, but on the wonderful uh, Gunicus um, Encyclopedia, yeah. the, the version of the um, Parkinson Sellers interview is a 1996 version. And that's a shame because the big bit that's missed out of that, or one of the big bits, is all about his young life, Sellers' young life in the theatre. Mm, that's right. Which is actually, I think, is one of the really sort of, um, it's quite revealing uh, about Sellers. And certainly if you read the various biographies of Sellers, what's really interesting about this Parkinson interview, I think, is that even though it's not necessarily always referenced as being from Parkinson, the things that he says in this Parkinson interview run through a hell of a lot of the biography. Yeah. Uh, and he uses a lot of the reason for why you know, one of the things that comes up again and again is Sellers really hated the theatre. And all of the bit that's in the interview where he talks about how he didn't like the smell of the theatre, didn't like the smell of the size and the grease paint and the beery breath of mm -hmm. the baritones in there. And he actually says, this is probably why I hated being in the theatre. So it's that's incredibly influential because, of course, that's exactly what he fights against. And then you see that in the other, the, Michael Parkinson meets the goons, when Sellers and Seacombe start talking about the dreaded Coventry. Mm -hmm. um, it all ties together very nicely. And is, it's one of the things I think, and maybe we'll move on to this, is the kind of, the thing about the Sellers interview is Sellers was always putting on an act, but actually even within that, was he revealing more than he's probably ever revealed elsewhere? It's really difficult to know. Yeah, because we know that he wanted in the, in the 50s, in the mid 50s, he wanted to become big on the stage mm. um and and there was the the debacle of the play brouhaha mm. in what 58 was it 58 59 58 i think and um he hated the repetition of you know um nightly shows and he hated the fact that he was constrained by script that he had to repeat mm was obliged to repeat night after night um but but he 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 originally went into brouhaha thinking that that you know it would be a huge hit it would transfer to broadway 
and and you know maybe for a time he envisaged that his career was going to be treading the boards you know yeah um, who knows yeah it's i mean it's 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 interesting and certainly the fact that that was such a debacle presumably hardened his feelings about the theater if they if they were genuine i mean it's fascinating again i think lewis mentions this doesn't he but it's an obvious comparison it's like brouhaha sounds like a sort of rehearsal for Milligan in Son of Oblomov, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and the, so the 1980 repeat, I hope people can keep up with us because <laughs> yeah, because it's going to be a little bit confusing. But the 1980 repeat um, doesn't have the beginning of the show, of the 74 show, where Sellers comes on in his German helmet and essentially does the the Kenneth Mars routine from the producers. It, I, I, I don't think it does, but my memory, because I actually saw the 1980 version when it went out, I don't have a memory of that being there. And the version that's on YouTube just cuts in abruptly. So it's hard to tell whether that what they've cut out and what they haven't. It does. I know what you mean. It, it does kind of start quite abruptly. So possibly they missed off that beginning. But but it, it's amazing how... Sellers is basically repeating himself because he pretty much did that gag. Well, he did do that gag <laughs> on two years earlier on Parkinson meets the goons. It, absolutely. It's identical, really. It's kind of, he's, it's, it's, uh, he's more on, on the, in the 1974 one, he's marching around more, isn't he? He yeah. tends to be sitting down and slightly less manic, but it's, it goes back to that story, which is in, is in, I think, the Parkinson introduction to the 1996 version, which is that Sellers, as he often did, got cold feet and told Parkinson he wasn't going to do it, didn't he? That's the story. Yeah. And um, Parkinson, you know, he, and he, he, he goes down kind of like the classic Sellers thing of saying, I can't go on as myself because there isn't a myself. I can't do that. I need to go on as something. And Parkinson says, says, well, I don't care how you get on, just get on. And I presume that they... What sellers either thought I'll just do what I did last time, or somebody said just do what you did last time because it seems it's 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 weird how it's exactly the same. Well, and also, have you seen the 1973 Spike Milligan "This Is Your Life" show? Oh no, I don't think I have actually. Sellers turns up on that. Guess what he's wearing? Peter, come, can you come over here? Can we talk to you? That's good man. I told you, Hitler. Was don't be afraid back. of him. Tell us about Spike and this particular pub, will you? What did you like to know about him? How's <laughs> this pub? Huh? Tell us about him. <laughs> a helmet, by any chance? Yes. <laughs> well, that's that, that he claims in the uh, Parkinson meets the goons that he actually got that helmet when he was making the Blockhouse, doesn't he? Because mm. he's got he's got the Blockhouse beard in that in that interview. He has, as as we discussed on um, the episode we did on the Blockhouse, I did with uh, Bob Fisher. Yeah, Sellers has the beard, and he says, "Yeah, he discovered he discovered this German army helmet in a, 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 an underground hospital in Guernsey where they were filming the Blockhouse." Um, <laughs> and I don't believe that for a moment. It sounds fish, fishy, but it's hard to believe anything that, that Sellers says. But it's. It's even more the kind of the concept of him going around everywhere carrying a helmet, seemingly, every time he appears <laughs> on TV. <laughs> Just go and get my helmet, put my helmet on. It's kind of... Um, but then all around this time, there's th- this kind of... As 
it, it, how these films were being made and not released. You know, talk about not having anything to plug when he goes on there. I mean, it's because nothing, <laughs> nothing was coming out. Um, well, yeah, sorry to cut, cut in. Yeah, I when I rewatched it, the '74 interview, I had it in my head that he was right in the middle of the morass of dead end films and films mm. that weren't released and films that made no money. And, and it, and it kind but it was right at the end of that period. And, and it, return of the pink Panther is referenced. It is. And, and it's not out yet. It's not released yet, but it is referenced. And there's a clip of outtakes, isn't there? But obviously, and, but that, that puzzles me as well. Cause return of the pink. So this is November, 1974, this interview. Yep. Um, return of the pink Panther doesn't come out until May 1975 in the US. Uh, it's much later in the UK that comes out. It comes out much, much later in the UK. I was going to mention this because I think part of his good mood, if it, if you can ever tell with Sellers, and because he is astonishing on this, but one of the things we should maybe say to the top, the reason, and maybe go on to talk about the kind of like, it was a big deal, this interview, when it was shown after his death, I think. Mm. That's when it really sort of got some kind of cultural purchase and also with the release of it on LP and tape. But I mean, it is astonishing kind of the performance of the kind of just him going from character to character. It, it seems like, um, like, like he's, he's quite warm for sellers. He's, he's clearly got, he's got that strange accent that he seemed to default to, which is certainly not what his original accent would have been, but it's this sort of mm. kind of transatlantic neutral kind of semi posh it, it's very it's very it's a very odd thing but maybe maybe he was on a bit of a high after being in the terrible morass that we were talking about of making lots of films in hellish circumstances largely because of his own behavior and them not getting released but yeah i, I looked that up and um the it, this is imdb so it might not be accurate you know that's triple our sources if we're going to quote it but it says the filming dates were april 74 to August 74 for Return of the Pink Panther. And the production dates were June till September. Right. So that's interesting. And it, I don't know why there was such a long delay before it came out. Maybe there was a lot of posts to do on it or something. But it's it that's interesting that, that actually maybe he realized that he was onto a good thing again. Because there's a quote in the sick of, what's it called? Sick of um biography of sellers. Mm. Ed Sickoff, yeah, where he says there's something I've just got to quote here. Peter was by all accounts astonishingly cooperative during the production of The Return of the Pink Panther. A fact Ed was later attributed to Blake Edwards to a certain penitence mixed with revived ambition. Um, mm -hmm. Peter was extremely happy. He wanted to be successful so he could get back up on top again. And I think part of the I suppose it's his willingness to do an interview like that. He didn't do a huge amount of long, an hour long interview, maybe slightly more than an hour. Um, so maybe part of that is down. Maybe he was receptive to the idea because um, things seem to maybe be on the up. It's very difficult to tell with sellers, but the fact that after he'd made Pink Panther, he said he looked at it and was really happy with it. He thought it was really great. I suppose that is a bit of a plug, isn't it? Because it's, it's obviously it's going to be his next film that comes out. But I, I think that's um, that's that's potentially uh, why he maybe even did it. Yeah, maybe he says that it's interesting. He says Return of the Pink Panther is the funniest of the. It's interesting. He says funniest of the four Pink Panther films. So he's tacitly acknowledging the Alan Arkin Inspector Clouseau film there, isn't he? 
Yes, I guess he is. Yes, that's true. I hadn't spotted that actually, but yeah, he would be. Um, and he's also very uh, warm about Blake Edwards, and uh, um, there's no indication of any animosity or bitterness or jealousy or anything. And 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 he talks about Stanley Kubrick, and but yeah, he's definitely on form. And I, as you, as you may have noticed or may have seen on Twitter, I tweeted yesterday actually that you know if 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 I was coming at this interview with you know knowing nothing about sellers knowing nothing about the baggage and the trail of broken marriages and the um the temper tantrums and the um the mood swings if i if i knew none of that and i just sat down and watched this interview this hour-long interview um i would have concluded that he was a thoroughly ocean-going fellow that i would be delighted to you know have a few pints with it, you know, it'd be it'd be totally entertaining and uh, a joy to be around. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that that there's a there's a certain kind of feeling that after he died, as it often happens when people die, there was a sort of you know he got slightly kind of hagiography of him. You know, he became this kind of figure that you wouldn't really hear many kind of bad words about because there's there's it's interesting. I think how largely through his career. His terrible behaviour didn't get publicised that much. I think his team used to do a lot of work to try and get the worst excesses. Not not always, but he wasn't seen as he as he was, you know, sort of ten years later when the w- things started to be written about him. When it became when it became obvious that he was sort of like this, uh, often kind of uh, mon- behaved monstrously. Uh, none of that was sort of there. And I think part of it is down to the fact, and, uh, you know, risk of boring everyone to tears, the when it was repeated, uh, that, that tribute one, the 1981, what was it? Yeah, 20 past nine. It was later than it was supposed to be because probably because of the Olympics, because the Olympics was on at the time. It got 20.8% of the viewers for that, which was 10.9 million, which was comfortably the biggest audience of that Saturday. Yeah. And I think that's when it started to get, that's when it really made its mark. Because if you think about the the first showing, the elusive 1974 one, that was on a, just gone 11.30, got 8.5% of viewers, um, which is like about 4.3 million. And, you know, late night slot, didn't get any further repeats, maybe extracts from it in some end of series compilations, I think. Mm. But it was that seller's, uh, the interview, the tribute repeat, I think. And certainly for me, I mean, I'd seen, you know, I love the Pink Panther, and I'd seen the films, but that was that to me is sort of the age I was. And certainly the people I was at school with, we happened to see that. And everybody was sort of like we were kind of talking about it and everybody was amazed by because it's got the what's it called? The Barrington Minge. Warrington, um, Warrington, Minge. Warrington. Sorry, Warrington Minge. How could I forget? Which <laughs> is which is quite spicy, I think, for for them. But there was the, the the anecdotes, the songs are very sweet as well, the way he does it. And it's just this kind of you do get it all in the space of just over an hour this kind of insanely multi-talented talented guy just one-on-one in a chat show and it's and it stands out and i think the reason that it came that that's presumably the reason that it was released on lp and cassette because it the sellers interview didn't come out until 1980 so they obviously sort of capitalized yeah. on that the audio well yeah, well yeah and and also i mean the day that the 1980 repeat went out was the day of sellers funeral as well yeah um so so and that was on the news absolutely absolutely oh yeah yeah it was big and they'll cut that would be obviously why the audience was bigger as well but i think it's just the it seemed to get a bit of a life and people you then it became spoken of 
because of course it was only a couple of years later that Parkinson finished and when they used to talk about Parkinson that was one of the interviews that was one of I guess the top three top four interviews that everybody talked about and it started to take on a life of its own and I think that's an interesting one when Parkinson finished on the BBC doing that particular show in 82 Mm. there then was a bit of a gap of it with you know with a decent not, not many decent chat shows and it was constantly talked about as oh the Parkinson days when you'd get these big stars on and wonderfully funny because you had the famous Billy Connolly one as well or the famous Billy Connolly ones and um I just think it, it sort of became took on a life of its own then uh because of that and then you could buy it you could buy it yeah. and play it again now, Fred Roper's midgets were a lot of little men and little ladies and little men. You see, all about this size. And they used to do various tricks, like jumping through hoops and things, like dog acts and things. But, I mean, this Fred Roper used to hold a thing and a midget would jump through. Now, these midgets were about this size, and I could never figure out why. They were the same size as me, but I couldn't sort of make any contact with them. So they had deep voices and spoke cigars and pipes, you see. Yeah. And they were funny, they used to go, they used to go <laughs> I mean, I mustn't, I'm not being a downer on gnomes or dwarfs or midgets or anything, and I know they're all very different. But it did strike me very strangely at, the, at that particular time to see a mass of them. You know, they used to come out of the stage to en masse. <laughs> and uh, I never heard what happened to Fred Roper and his edges, but uh, you do see them from time to time, of course, in circus. You see yeah. a lot of... Midgets in circuits. It's amazing they should be called Fred, because Fred's your favourite name, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah, Why no. is Fred funny? I don't know. I think it seems to ruin anything, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's like Fred, Sid, Bert, Tom. I mean, Millie and I have been thinking, we've always had a thing about Sid, Tom, Bert and Jim. I mean, like, if you said Fred, this is, this, this is a genuine Fred Rembrandt. I mean... <laughs> 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 and the fellow says, it's not, it's not a, a Rembrandt. And he said, no, 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 but it's Fred Rembrandt. <laughs> it may have been a Sid, I'm not sure. But you see, uh, if you put that sort of thing in front, it sort of ruins it in yes. a way. And I rather like that. I, that's how our shows used to be, were called the Fred shows and things. Yes. And then we, it made Fred our patron saint, really. Yeah. The conversation between Parkinson and Sellers comes across as fairly spontaneous. Or yeah, you know, it doesn't mm. necessarily seem pre-prepared. Some of the questions that Parkinson hits Sellers with, but you know that they've already discussed this prior to the interview. For example, mm. when when Parkinson, kind of from nowhere, says, "Who are the great gigglers in the business?" <laughs> and and Sellers immediately has that that Lawrence of Arabia mm. anecdote. You know, you you know that they've prepared this in advance, but. How much do you know, you know, how much preparation there was typically on a on a Parkinson show prior to the actual taping? I think in in this case, I'm sure I've read, I couldn't put my hand on the source just at the moment, but I'm sure I've read that Parkinson went out for a meal with him several times before this interview. Uh, and I think they allude to it, don't they? There's a bit where he says, you know, you and you and I could talk forever about films because they're both film buffs. Mm, mm. And uh, I suspect they 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 met a lot. And obviously, apart from anything else for Parkinson, it would be it would be like sort of coaxing sellers into right. saying yes, because, he notoriously, I think it was very well known in the business that he could blow hot and cold like no one. So one day he'd be enthusiastic and it'd be forgotten the next. Yes. So. Parkinson, I think, put in the hours on this one, both to get Sellers to the interview, 
but also as you exactly as you say to cover the ground you know to say what what would be possible and i think it, it, you know i i i have no don't know this but my guess because of what sellers was like would be they probably would have said you know what possible anecdotes could you tell here particularly the gigglers one and it might not have been that sellers was definitely going to tell the Lawrence of Arabia one. He might have had another couple that are obvious ones, but that's the one he decided to do. Yeah. But they obviously, you know, because sellers like to keep it spontaneous. So I don't think they would have really nailed it down, apart from the fact that obviously they knew they were going to do the songs. The, the thing that I think is really interesting about it is all the stuff about working his way up through the theatre, his mum forcing him through it, the stuff about his grandma with the German water tank Yes. Drowning the band in Huddersfield yes. and all of those. And, and particularly, I was particularly uh, interested in the reference to um, Fred Roper's midgets. <laughs> Fred Roper's midgets, yeah. Yeah, they were a troop. And I looked them up, actually. And uh, they were big. They were really big. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, Fred Roper's uh, and, his, and his midgets. Because there was a... There, there, I didn't, didn't systematically look through, but I was looking through some newspaper archives. And they, he, they were clearly that two of his troop turned up to get married, even though they hadn't told the registry office they were going to get married and brought along with them the serried ranks of um, Fleet Street or the local press to take photos of them being turned away from the registry office to make a news story out of it. And there were loads of these things. This guy, Fred <laughs> Roper, was clearly just drumming up publicity and they were, they were just going through and he ran for sort of easily a couple of decades or more with an ever-revolving group of of these performing uh artists and uh so that was all of this you know there's a lot of real kind of authenticity about the way he talks about it and when you know what his relationship with his mother was like you get i just think the fact that right at the end of the interview when he's asked about have you, have you he says something along the lines of have you do you feel fulfilled is it important you know what would you have done if you had, there hadn't been a film industry and radio and stuff and he and he says, you know, I've, well, you know, I did what my mother really wanted me to do, and it's just you get these little insights into into the fact that however much he can fabulate things, and Sellers made things up all the time. Quite a lot of what is in this interview is true, and I think that that's that's really fascinating because there's so many interviews I think with Sellers that are, certainly aren't as long, but also you can clearly see him kind of like spinning off and spinning it on. I'm not saying he doesn't do any of that in this, of course, but I, I think it's the fact that both big biographies of Sellers or the, the major, the, the two the two really big ones, it's threaded through them, I think, this interview. And I, th I find that quite fascinating about it. So I think it, it's almost like Parkinson was an okay interviewer, I think. He, was, he had the feel to himself in those days, pretty much. Yeah. But... Sellers wanted to do the show and, uh, you know, and did it and wanted to talk. And I think, you know, there's some that, that that's a really interesting time and quite why he chose this time to do it. I don't know, but maybe it was to do with the fact that things were starting to look up again for him. And of course it did. And then, of course, he went completely mad because once Return of the Pink Panther went absolutely massive and in money, he had no money troubles anymore. Not that he ever acted like he had money troubles. Um, it didn't stop him spending. But then, of course, that was when he got into the absolute stratosphere and became completely unmanageable. And I don't think he would have done a, a Parkinson ever again. Well, he had no need of Parkinson then. Yeah. Because he only did, no, he only did Parkinson twice, which was this 74 uh, interview and, of course, the 72 Goons one. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about him talking about his mum. I, I do like the fact because he, he, you, you never really hear about his father 
in biographies. Mm-hmm. His father's always on the periphery. His father's always sort of sidelined. He's like the um, he's like a shadow in the background. He's like mm-hmm. he's like the fifth housemate in the young ones. You know what I mean? And yeah. I like the fact that Sellers does take some time to talk about his dad, not in a great great detail, but he talks about his dad and talks about his dad's people who are from Bingley, which mm-hmm. obviously another another uh, tick in the column for Parkinson because you know Yorkshire. Um, and, um, no, I just like the fact that he does talk, you know, he takes some time to talk about his dad and, and his dad's family, you know, that's quite nice. And again, it shows, I guess, that he was in a, he, at that time, Sellers was in a good place, shall we say. Sellers, it's fascinating how Sellers starts turning back to the past. Um, and whether, and I just think, I don't know about you, Tyler, because I, I was too young at the time. But what I find really weird about that early 70s period, and it's just not not that all the films were bad, but the fact that these films that used to get publicised in, say, you know, we used to get the Daily Mirror in our house, but so they'd mention things to do with Sellers films. They're the kind of places that was that Sellers new film. And he mentions in the Parkinson interview that, sorry, the Parkinson meets the goons interview. I've just made this film in Guernsey. And they would have referenced to this, you know, this film. And, and then nothing happens. They never appear. So you get all yes. these references to forthcoming <laughs> films. And unless you get the trade papers, you wouldn't have a clue what was going on. It's just like, oh, so it's just like this whole string of Speed Sellers is making this film in, you know, the um, a Noonday Sun film and blah, blah, blah. And then nothing. Yep. Nothing emerges. Nothing emerges with the, the, the Blockhouse. Nothing emerges with uh, Hoffman. And it's just, it was it just been so baffling at the time. It's just kind of like such a, you just don't really kind of get that things. Well, I suppose, I suppose maybe it's coming back because I was going to say you don't get films being sort of written off as tax losses now. But I guess there's been some kind of, is it DC films that have been suppressed, that have been made and completed, but aren't coming out? Yes, 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 of course, yeah. So maybe yeah. this is coming back, that like you've made them, but it's actually cheaper to write them <laughs> off now. Maybe maybe this whole thing's coming back, except, of course, now with social media, we know every single phase of what's going on, every single step of the controversy about in the trade, whereas then the, the media, the kind of new, you, you would get very little back. So, oh, I'm looking forward to this um, war film in Guernsey, and it's like you've got no clue where it's gone. Very odd. Yeah, it's like you've got these fragments, these echoes, like the the you know obviously the, the Optimists of Nine Elms did come out, but but it is commemorated forever, I suppose, in the fact that he does that song from mm. it on Parkinson, the Parkinson interview. I've got an idea. Soon she'll be cooking my breakfast. Wait and see. I haven't told her. She hasn't told me, but we know it just the same. Saturday night on her city. Oh, what a time there's going to be. I haven't told her, hasn't told me, but we know it just the same. She still calls me Mr. But she won't, I know she won't. After I've kissed her, I've got an idea soon there'll be One little, two little, possibly three I haven't told her, hasn't told me But I know <laughs> and, and of course with, with Ghost of the Noonday Sun As I, as I said on the, the episode we did on that a few months back The one positive byproduct of the whole ghost of the noonday sun disaster 
was the um, advert for Benson and Hedges. Yeah. That he and Milligan did. Absolutely. When, um, when neither of them would hold the pack of cigarettes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, I did that, that story he tells, by the way, about Milligan. Again, I, I, you know, I've read over the years, I've read so many biographies of both Salas and Milligan. That story he tells about the personal attack button that Milligan is yeah. in a bad way and staying at Sellers and s- somehow switches on Burgo, this personal attack <laughs> security alarm and police turn up and because Milligan's got a big long beard because he's in a bad way. And, and Sellers very dismissive of, of Milligan's mental state at the time. By the way, it's outrageous, <laughs> isn't it? That, that that's that's the bit that gets to me. That he does the same thing in the uh, meets the goons as well, doesn't he? In the early part when he's on, he yes. says something about yeah, well, about hanging himself in his dressing room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think Seacum sort of just talks about the trumpet being um, stamped on. Yeah, but yeah. Sellers just drops that in and says, you, you know, you know, he was in he was in a bad way. Tried to hang himself, and he's so. And you're thinking about all of the time. Well, I mean, I suppose Sellers sort of refused to accept that he had mental health problems but it's a bit much isn't it coming from sellers of all people yes to be dismissive of that and i kind of that's a that's yes that's a weird bit. he couldn't talk about his beard being dyed blue or something doesn't he yeah but i don't the whole story that's that milligan's carted off down to the police station by a dozen burly policemen mm. i don't believe a word of that i don't, I don't know where that's I'm, I'm sure there's possibly a sliver of truth somewhere in that story yeah. if you can unpick it just but, just as I doubt that his grandma's water tank actually drowned no, indeed. in Huddersfield. Though I like the idea of them using their um, trombones to try and <laughs> to <buzz> snorkels <laughs> to try and survive. I am tempted to look up in the newspaper archive because she had she was I can't remember what her name was, very distinctive. Um Ma something. You could look it up and see if there was an incident in Huddersfield. It might be quite easy to find actually, but I I I'm I very much doubt anybody anybody lost their life. No, <laughs> drowning no. in the orchestra pit. <laughs> that seems <laughs> charming as that is, uh, yeah. as a, as a thought. Um, yeah. There's some very nice stories that he tells. I mean, the, the Roy Spear story, how he got his first job with the BBC. Mm. Um, classic, of course, that one. Everyone knows that story. Um, I, I I love the you know when he goes through the book of the goons and does the voices, and he he's determined he's going to go through them all because I think. Parkinson says something like, um, you know, mm. which which are your favourites here? And he said, well, I'll go through them all. I'll go through them all. <laughs> and he mentions at one point, he, he mentions a character called Ernie Splutmuscle. And he says, oh, I don't remember him. Um, but Ernie Splutmuscle was the sort of prototype blue bottle in the early goon shows. Ah, uh, right. I didn't know that. That's um, interesting. I'm surprised he didn't. Well, mind you, you know, what was it? It was it was 20 years earlier. But there's 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 also some, some characters that... Uh, you listen to them describing them now and you go, oh, you know, like Flower Jew um, mm. and uh, uh, Babu Banerjee and, and people yeah, like that. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and and Parkinson always seems to react particularly to those ones, doesn't he? Like, yeah. Uh, I, I love the Chinese accent. That's the bit of the Warrington Minge anecdote that particularly tickles Parkinson. And you do. I mean, that, that, I think I love the book with the, his reading out of the Book of the Goons. It really made me laugh. That there's a bit... Um, can't remember the name of the guy, but the one you know, um, I've seen him, I've seen him. Oh, Cyril, Cyril, yeah. That 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 just cracks me up for some reason. Cyril, a friend of Spike and Peter. Cyril Waterman was a chap who used to live in these flats, you know. 
And Cyril was the sort of fellow who had to do something before you had done it. Now, if we'd been to the Palladium to see a top of the bill, and we saw, say, he said, we saw Sid Nurge last week, Cyril. He said, I've seen him, I've seen him, I've seen him. <laughs> so I said, he's only open last night. He said, I oh, know, I've seen him, I've seen him. <laughs> He went to the south of France, I tell you, tell you everything, he went to the south of France, and he said, who do you think I saw in the south of France? So I said, I don't know, he said, Don Andrews, Don Andrews! And then he said, he's a confirmed alcoholic, confirmed alcoholic! I mean, I'm sure he never met Don I mean, I don't know how he knew, probably Don Andrews never had a drink in his life. Oh, sure, I'm sure not. That was in thing to know about, yeah. Cyril. I've seen him, I've seen him. Um, <laughs> It's uh, that, uh, yeah, that's that's right. And I also love the one that's not in the '96 one; that's in the the full one, where when he spills the water and then goes into a workers' playtime anecdote. Yeah, when uh, that it's just those bits are really great because it's just such a you know because he did so many, didn't he, of workers' playtime? Yeah, yeah, uh, episodes all over. And he, I can't remember what he calls the the name of the factory is particularly brilliant. The uh, always... the Spirella corset factory. Yeah. That... Yeah, <laughs> that, I mean that is it's just exactly the kind of thing I mean I'm a bit too young for workers playtime but I'm very familiar with what they were and I just like the idea there of littered all over the country these factories making these very specific things <laughs> that sellers must have gone to about you know 150 of them or something improbable like that and all you have to do is name the uh, name, for, drop, the name foreman. drop foreman and everybody goes yep. ballistic is uh, is a great little that's what I like about it it's a great little insight into kind of that time period. When we used to go and work his playtime years ago, a fellow used to come around, I said, listen, if you could mention the former's name, uh, Bert Thung, uh, <laughs> I'm to get a laugh. Bert Thung, yeah, I'll try and get that into the script. Okay, right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's lovely to be up here at the Spirella Corset Factory um, <laughs> to welcome Bert Thung. <laughs> that was the best part of the act, you see. You know that he... Um... He went out with uh, oh, what was her name? Thora Heard's daughter. Oh, Jeanette Scott. Was that... Jeanette Scott. That's yeah. right, Jeanette Scott. There's a great bit where basically she says, and I really like the idea of this, was that she she said that Peter was really happy with my parents being Thora Heard and um, Thora Heard's husband, who was also from the sort of music hall and the and the old theatre. Uh, and she said, in a strange way, I was only ever part of a package that included them. And okay. I love that idea that Peter Sellers, you know, he's going out with uh, Jeanette, but actually really wanted to see Thora Heard a lot. It's <laughs> part of this. And apparently she said this lovely quote about, and I think this is the way that he's from that background, he's left it behind, but he still it appeals to him so strongly that he said, I can see him now taking off his glasses to wipe the tears of laughter away after something my mother, Thora Heard, had said. Something about her overhearing a woman on the bus say, see that over there? That's the second largest power station in the north of England. And what's more, I know the manager. <laughs> I just love the idea of Sellers going out in some swanky place with his, because of course she ended up, Jeanette Sky ended up marrying Mel Torme, yeah, which I love the fact that for a while Mel, Mel Torme's mother-in-law was Thora Heard, yeah. <laughs> kind of incongruous uh, things to get together. But I just love the idea of Sellers kind of going out with his um, with his starlet girlfriend and um, and Thora Heard cracking him up with anecdotes and him wiping the tears away for that because I just think that's where he really is, and I think he's he's just so sharp on those kind of old um, details 
of what mm. things used to be like and the way that old radio used to be. And that really kind of appeals to me about the interview. Yeah, absolutely. And and the 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 whole interview is also an opportunity for him to trot out his party pieces. And he does he does Richard the Third. It's the opening soliloquy from Richard yeah. the Third. Did you pick up on the fact that he briefly lapses into Scouse? And I'm just and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm thinking, has he equated that with the fact he did the famous Hard Day's Night as Laurence Olivier? I thought the, exactly uh, the same thing. I thought exactly the same yeah. thing. Because he does, he just does that brilliant um kind of lapse for one line, doesn't he, right at the end? Just as he's just as he's finished the soliloquy. Yeah. Yeah. And I I assumed so. I yeah. assumed so. Um, because I couldn't see any other reason for it being there other than the fact he just wanted yeah. to do another voice. But yeah. I was gonna do this at the mermaid, you know, Mike. Yeah. But I got cold feet at the opening of the mermaid when Bernard was opening the mermaid. Because I saw the film, I thought that's it, he's done the lot, you know, and you can't really follow that, can you, you know? On the 26th of July, when that repeat, the tribute went out, the full news bulletin that followed that programme is actually on YouTube. Yeah. So if anybody out there wants to see it, because the interesting bit about it, it's BBC One Late News, Saturday, 26th of July, 1980. If you Google that, you'll get it. It's um, It includes the, the, the news item about Seller's funeral. Um, yes. and, yeah. and you see Brit Eklund. But that particular item follows on from an item about Princess Margaret, which was <laughs> an interesting coming together. And Prince Margaret's wearing an extraordinary outfit uh, for something. And then it goes straight from Prince Margaret's royal duties straight into Sellers' um, uh, funeral, which was, of course, on a catastrophically bad day for the weather which then follows on with the with the news item about problems caused by the weather. So the whole bulletin is there. So people are interested in taking yourself back. That's what you can that's what you can find. Yeah, Princess Margaret was in Canada. She didn't leg it back for Sellers' no. funeral, I notice. Um No, no. Uh, They'd fallen out by then, hadn't they? Oh uh, yeah, probably. Didn't he didn't he do something well, I think he I think she rang him up um uh, and seen him for a while and um they arranged to go to dinner. And he just blew her out and she never contacted him. Oh, again. right. Quite likely. <laughs> By the way, um, who was the newsreader? On it that? was Kenneth Kendall. Kenneth Kendall gives me the on. <laughs> Call back. Oh, oh. Mm. Not, not that it's any relation to you getting the horn, but mm. do you know which world leader or former world leader was born on the 26th of July, 1980? Uh, former world leader. Yes. Or was it Jacinta? It was. Jacinda oh. Arden, born on this day. Oh. <laughs> my, well, not my, but, you know, kind of my former prime minister. Mm-hmm. Or my family's former prime minister. <laughs> yes, I, um, yes, ah. I saw that. Yeah. And just while we see, I know I like it when you set context for things. The original yeah. 1974 showing of this was just three days after Lord Lucan disappeared. Like wasn't big, um big. wasn't there a theory that trying to remember now wasn't there a theory that Graham Hill flew him out of the country or something? There, yeah, there, to be honest, there have been so many theories that I would have thought that I could easily imagine Graham Hill smuggling him out of the country would be a theory. But mm. I can imagine almost everybody in the country at one point was accused of smuggling him out. But no, there were there were it was I always forget the name of them now. The Mayfair set, the guy who. Um, the guy who ran the safari park in England, as well as being a gambler. Oh, oh um, uh, you mean um, not the Duke of, not the um, 
Earl of Bath, or whatever. He's not him. No, no, no. Somebody else, entrepreneur. Oh, he, Aspinall. Aspinall. Yes, John Aspinall. Yep. Aspinall. He's yeah. the one who he, he he was a kind of prime candidate, wasn't he, for getting him out? Yeah. Yeah, you'd, yeah. Have, you'd have thought it would be a bit too soon for Sellers to go there, but I would have thought it would be the kind of thing you'd think Sellers would have been interested in doing. Yeah, some yeah. kind of uh, you know, give it a couple of years and make a film of it. They were astonishingly quick off the market in those days to make films about things. They were, they were. Um, so yeah, so Parkinson meets the goons is broadcast twenty eighth of October nineteen seventy two, um, and it was, was there was a very welcome repeat of it on BBC Four a couple of years ago, wasn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah, um, which was terrific because I'd only ever heard the LP version, mm-hmm. so I'd never seen the actual because it's because it's you know the the LP of course is edited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Parkinson, right at the beginning, he's he he says some of the voices you will hear are blah 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 blah, but he mentions but he refers to Colonel Bloodnock, not Major Bloodnock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, oh, you got that wrong. I'm sure sellers will pick you up on that. But then I thought, well, hang on, because later on we see a clip from a terrible clip from the terrible film Down Among the Zed Men, <laughs> um, uh, which, by the way, was only 20 years old. <laughs> when they, when, when they, yeah. But they're talking like they're talking like it's uh, I think they literally say it's, it's come out of the arc or something. Yeah, it's like they're um, talking about a kind of Buster Keaton film on there or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But but in that Sellers was oh, the character was uh, Colonel Bloodnock, so I'm wondering whether Parkinson just was uh, referring to that. But maybe maybe not. But anyway, um, but you get a very straightforward, very giggly, uh, what twenty minutes with Harry at the beginning. Yeah, he seems nervous, doesn't he? He does. He does. He's he's trying to. He's the, the n- nervous energy. He's kind of. He has to fill in. He, there can't be any sort of silent bits or pauses and he's got to fill it with noise yeah it's like a kind of it's like a sort of low-level Tourette's isn't it it's kind yes. of... did it help though did it help when you look back being a comedian being brought up in Wales I mean did you, what? you have to have a sense of humor to live there hey because you come from Yorkshire no actually very it was very happy a very happy home life we we uh we lived uh, my, my brother my sister my mother and father we had no lodgers at the time <laughs> lived in the in Sitow. <laughs> We lived near the docks, actually, um, but we lived. <laughs> I couldn't speak a word of English. I was twelve, you know. But a Peruvian lodger, anyway, that's a different story. He was just seemed to be um, like a wind-up toy mm. that he just let go, you know. And it, it was just he was like, like clattering around the stage and just giggling and blowing raspberries at will, and and it is like he's just trying to keep the audience on side. Yeah, it's it's kind of it, it, I don't. It, it's interesting. I can't. I haven't seen it for a while. There's definitely a Parkinson interview. Is it a couple of years later? He does. I think it well, might yeah, be. Well, yeah, actually, just while, just sorry to. I might as well mention it now before I forget. I did check. So Sellers was interviewed twice by Parkinson, as as we've we've said. Harry was interviewed only three times by Parkinson. You know, one of the times being Parkinson meets the goons, mm-hmm. and once on Parkinson's Australian show. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Um, but he was, he if you want to call it the, if you want to say, you know, the proper Parkinson, he he was interviewed in 81. Oh, um, right, okay. I, I must be mistaken then. I, can't, I, can't, I think I've seen it, but I can't remember whether he was, he was like, what he was like on that. Yeah, well, I, I haven't seen that for a long, long time. Um, Spike's been on eight times, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Spike, Spike, <laughs> Spike used to turn up 
um a lot on parkinson i used to remember really like it. he tells that famous dysentery story yeah um which uh was an absolute standout i remember again because mom and dad used to come back from the pub and we used to watch it as a family more often than not uh parkinson and that was one of the real absolute classics um yeah because it ends up with the guy with his legs through the jumper with with a trilby hat yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's inside the neck piece. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I was going to ask you because I was looking at the sellers one a bit more and didn't um, didn't look into it was what is is the story about what's the story behind Milligan not being on this? Is he genuinely? I don't. Is is he genuinely got pneumonia and he's over in Australia? No, no. I just think he was he was in Australia. I think he was in Australia and he wasn't going to come back just for this. Maybe it was a case of, I don't know, maybe Sellers became available mm. and they thought, well, let's grab Sellers while we can. Let's get Harry. And Milligan was on the other side of the world. Because no, his wasn't. parents used to live there, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, he spent a lot of time in Australia and mm. worked a lot in Australia. So, and he loved Australia, I think. Um, So Harry Harry's interviewed and then Peter's introduced and Peter comes out again and does, as we say, does the does the producers. But, and, and, but to be fair, he does... See, I used to, because I was used to the LP version of both this and the Sellers, Parkinson Sellers interview. And I was I was a bit cheesed off that he would do this, do this routine, the Nazi routine, um, or the Kenneth Mars routine, as mm. I call it. Because I just thought, well, you, you're just copying somebody else. It's not, there's nothing original there, you know? Mm. Um but I do. I did pick up on the fact that in the in the actual Parkinson meets the goons interview that we watched, he does Sellers to his credit does credit the producers and Mel Brooks. Churchill couldn't even say Nazis. I That is my favourite bit of dialogue from um, and a plug for good old Mel Brooks and the producers. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. I, I Can I take this off? Yeah, please oh, do, Peter. Yes. I'll have to take my head with it. I should. Oh, now you see. Let's have a look at this. Yeah. Now, thinly disguised as. Oh God! No, it's better without. I shared your admiration actually for that uh, for that film. Is that a great film? Mm, Very underrated. Movie. I don't yeah. know why people they didn't push that. Yeah. Well, you know why they didn't push it is what's wrong with the movie industry, basically, isn't it? Absolutely right. We might talk, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. It, it Sellers was an incredible enthusiast for the producers, wasn't he? Well, he could have got that. He could have been in it. That's yes. The, the irony. Yeah. Brooks wanted him to be in it, and mm. he turned him down. Mm. <laughs> I know it's 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 crazy, but he he used to at, at the drop of a hat he used to project at his home, didn't he? Yes. That anybody that would come round, and I think he even says in in the Parkinson meets the goons. It's a brilliant film. I don't understand why it didn't do better. He doesn't just doesn't understand it at all. And it's almost like he's going around doing a weird sort of PR campaign for it w- way after it was made. Uh, but no, it's uh, it's 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 quite why he decided he had to do that. And the fact that he came on with the same helmet on This Is Your Life is just <laughs> well it's bizarre. I would imagine if you know if he got towards the end of his life and he knew it was the end of his life and he would look back on his career and his personal life and 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 wanted to sort of come up with a couple of regrets i'm sure he would probably say his first marriage collapsing would be mm. a regret but would it trump turning down the producers i'm not sure <laughs> remind me no i don't think so remind me was he going to be the wilder part i don't know i think he was going to be the um the 
Zero Mustel character. Zero Mustel, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, um, uh, uh, but I would have. Oh, could you imagine Sellers with Gene Wilder? Oh, that would have been yeah, something else. It's something else. It's to miss, isn't it? But but again, the problem I think would have been he just did not want to stick with scripts, did he? At that point in his career, no, he just no. he just saw no room to make films. He had that bad time with Billy Wilder when um when they're making Kiss Me Stupid. That's right. Um, and Wilder, you couldn't. Wilder was no way interested in doing any kind of improvisation of any kind. It had to be the script exactly as it was written down. And Sellers hated that and almost kind of initially welcomed his heart attack as a way of getting out of it before he had an yeah, even he more did. serious heart attack. But yeah, I just think he was so. I mean, in a way, I suppose he was slightly ruined by having a big experience with Kubrick when Kubrick was very, despite his kind of image, Kubrick was very happy for Sellers to come up with the stuff and to have two big successes, well, Lolita, but nonetheless, same working, same MO, coming up with uh, with a lot of the dollar, working it out, not being pinned down to the words on the page, and then having a big hit with Dr. Strangelove. Uh, kind of ruined him, I think, after that, because if you thought, he met directors who didn't let him do that. I mean, is there any film he made after that? Probably The Blockhouse, maybe. I don't know many others, but he seemed to be completely unwilling to rehearse and stick to the script. Mm, mm. Or, or, when, or, be di- or be directed. Mm. Of, of course, Parkinson Meets the Goons has got a very interesting, I suppose, in terms of popular culture, uh, it's got historical significance in as much as I think, I think it's fair to say, I think it's, it's commonly accepted now that this was the program where the Michael Caine catchphrase, <laughs> not a lot of people know that was mm. coined. And by the way, we're recording this on the 14th of March, which is Michael Caine's 90th birthday. Happy birthday, Michael. Happy birthday, Sir Michael, Mo. should I say? Yep. Yep. Um, so, and and uh, I've said this before on the show. Uh, who was I talking to? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, it was uh, when we were discussing the last Goon Show of all with um, uh, Ian Billings. Uh, because in that, Sellers does a Kane uh, impression. Um, and he does the Kane impression on this Parkinson show. And it's fair to say that that was the whole, not a lot of people know that is attributed to Sellers. And, and Michael Caine himself says Sellers came up with that. Mm. Um, but it's not a very good Michael Caine impression, is it? It takes a man in a tweed suit five and a half seconds to fall from the top of Big Ben to the ground. Now, there's not many people know that. <laughs> no, not when you not when you sort of see the Steve Coogan kind of uh, ones then... Um in the trip yes uh yes. that those kind of the different different eras of Kane that he can actually <laughs> pin it to the different eras and then the one after lots of cigars uh over the years and things like that no it's uh it's it's fairly run of the mill isn't it but it, i mean i guess it, because it was everywhere wasn't it i, just, I watched know that it was, i watched i watched um i rewatched because i love it i rewatched uh the Barry would be king the other night mm. with with Kane and connery and there's that. Have you seen that film? Oh yeah, yeah, multiple times. There's the bit where Kane's in a railway carriage with Christopher Plummer, and this Indian gentleman with a watermelon walks into the compartment. Mr. Clatterbaridas, failed entrance examination, Calcutta University, 1863. 
writer of correspondence for the illiterate general public. Shut up. <laughs> and then pushes them, <laughs> and then pushes them out of the carriage as the train's going along. Let's <laughs> see. Oh, that is peak Kane. Peak Kane. Yeah. Nice to nice to remember on his ninetieth. But no, I mean it's just the the kind of again talking about the kind of probably because it was released on LP as well. But also, the, but the the kind of cultural uh, impact of that. Not a lot of people know that. Is ju- just every impressionist did it after that it just and it what's in, interests me now is because of the way things were then it wasn't but it was never clear where that came from you, you know you, you obviously if you'd seen that um episode of parkinson you would have known but yeah. did you did, you might not have known whether it predated it or not but it's just then it suddenly became because certainly when i was a kid i had no clue why every impressionist kept saying not a lot of people know what? that when they were doing a michael Caine thing well, the, the, but the other th- the other point to make is that actually he he says it in the last Goon Show of all, which which is what a good three or four months before the Parkinson. Oh yes, interview. he does. Yes, actually, I, I'd completely forgotten that. Oh yeah. right, yeah. Because um, I think if you look on Wikipedia, it cites the Parkinson interview as the first uh, record of it being mm. used. But no, it was it was the last Goon Show of all, of course. I like. Or do I like? I don't know if I like the when Spike's little bit, Spike's little video mm. with the the fly song at the end. Um, all very charming. But did you like the little, little bit of business at the end with the stretcher bearers taking the monitor, the television monitor, t- taking it to hospital? It was it was all a bit awkward. I thought, wasn't it? It didn't. I don't. I don't think that 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 whole sequence worked to, very much. I think it. It's it's sort of it feels better when it's back to the back to Seekham and Sellers just kind of yeah. chatting, isn't it? I think they could have, I think they could have zipped through it a bit more, to be honest. Yeah, it's nice that they've got Ray Ellington and the Ray Ellington oh, yeah, big band, absolutely. yeah, the, the big band rather than the quartet. Although it's credited as the quartet in the in the actual credits at the end. Uh, there's a lovely little bit of business right at the end of the show when um, <laughs> Harry gives Ray a fireman's lift. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think Ray looked slightly terrified, didn't he? Yeah. When yeah. that was happening, and it, when you when you think of the kind of like the nervous energy of Seacom, I don't think I'd like to be picked up by. No, no. <laughs> it's Sellers' game, though. It's Sellers' game because he's you know he does the bit. Again, we've got right to the to the end here, but the the, the, the Harry's doing a song, falling in love with love, mm. and and they're recreating what they used to do on the Goon Show. Peter goes behind him and uh, miraculously removes his braces. Um, before his own trousers fall down, oh, whipped down, yeah. <laughs> and that, um, that that is nice that bit, and they used that at the end of the 1996 repeat of the Sellers interview, don't they? Yes, they yeah. cut cut to that because it is a great. Um, it's a, it's it's a nice vibe. I think it's 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 when I think it's just a bit. The Seacom thing is fine, but it's just a bit. It's I think Seacom's just as you say, he keeps talking, making noises all the time. And he's sort of sweating and kind of hooting with laughter a lot. I think it just becomes a lot better when Sellers is out there. And yeah. Seacom can chip in more with that. I think it's kind of um it kind of it, it works a bit better there. But no, it's uh, it's a charming thing. And I suppose that combined with the last goon show of all was what led to the great goon revival, I suppose. It did. Because the LPs came out around this time and started coming out, the BBC LPs, I should say, which sold very well. Um, but yeah, of course, what we haven't 
specifically said, I suppose, is that this was all, all you know, the Parkinson even references it at the start, doesn't it? It's all in aid of the uh, BBC 50 year celebrations, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Which uh, I suppose that's that's a, the last goon show of all getting together. I suppose it would still be very dependent on whether or not sellers could make it. But obviously that would give a, an extra bit of pressure, wouldn't it? That if yeah. there was a particular thing to hang it on. But there was a lot of um, there was Television 50, I think, at this time. It was, it was a start of, I think, when the BBC used to do various things of repeating out of time material. Yeah. which wasn't that common. You know, yeah. most repeats were sort of done and dusted within the first 18 months or so yeah. Of, uh, yeah. of something being transmitted. And this was when that started to change. So as well as the goons sort of coming back and, you know, the potential, com you know, commercialization, getting some money back off the kind of uh, the material and marketing it and putting it out there on record and cassette um, was taken up with lots of other things as well, including because there were quite a few different uh, anniversaries through the 70s and that's certainly some of those were when I first saw archive TV in yeah. 1977 there were a huge um, uh, there were a huge load of repeats so things like Till Death Has Depart and various other things like that got repeats at, at the weekend and at times when someone my age I would have been nine or whatever started to see things like Hancock Till Death Has Depart as well as hearing them on records so it's kind of it's an interesting pivot point when archive starts to become archive TV starts to become more of a thing. Or archive TV and radio starts to become more of a thing that you can actually access. But I, I, it's really interesting. This particular era, the 50th anniversary, I think, of the BBC was when things started to change. And the goons was probably the first to really benefit from that because yeah. of its uh, massive yeah. resurgence. Because, again, it started to get repeated on the radio again much more, didn't it? It did, yes, indeed. In '75, there was a big series of re repeats. Um, I just, I've just sort of checked, running through my notes here from from the show. Just a couple of points. Sellers at one point mentions going out driving, going out with Milligan to some restaurant, getting very drunk, and basically admits to drink driving, doesn't he? Mm, yeah. um, on on national television. Um, I love the bit where he's talking about um, how Bloodnut was inspired by. Uh, army officers he'd met during the war and how he used to impersonate officers that little sequence was brilliant so i found some uh, um, officers insignia air commodores and put some blanket on wandered into the officers mess it'd be about three in the morning now there was only one lone old twit in there sitting in the corner and he looked at me and as far as i can recall um he said what are you what are you doing here because he so they all sounded like blood <laughs> i said uh Air ministers are welfare, just uh, and I was really going to say, good Lord, you're frightfully young for an air commodore. You're young to have white hair, too. And mm. um, um, he mentions being in a band called the Jive Bombers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, of course, um, he drops the S-bomb in as much as he says, uh, he, he tells a story about the guy wanting him to play any umbrellas, and he refuses, so he gets called Shitface. Yes, that's again. I was interested now going back to the Warrington Minge um, stuff. These were late night shows, weren't they? That's the thing. It, and it would did they have a bit, a little bit more leeway? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the exact policy was um, around then. When was when did the last Goon show go out? It was quarter past eleven. Oh blimey! Not the, no, not the last Goon show of all. Sorry, I mean the Parkinson meets the Goons. Sorry. Oh right, yes, yeah. yeah so <laughs> yes, sorry, no, it wasn't yeah. that late. Yeah, Parkinson meet the Goons was quarter past eleven. So. I think they maybe had a bit more leeway because definitely when 
um, Peter Sellers starts telling the Warrington Minge story, as soon as he says the name with such relish, you can see Parkinson look slightly nervously off camera at maybe the floor manager or the producer or something. Well, Felt yeah, they yeah. Could stay or closer to the wind. But that's true. Having said that, though, the character, the name Warrington Minge, the character of Warrington Minge, first turns up on the LP songs for Swinging Sellers in 1959 and is named as such. Ah. Um, but that's an LP. That's, that's not... exactly Derek and Clive for a... <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on LP, as long as they had a sticker, which I think you could remove, <laughs> saying uh, the the equivalent of parental advisory, yeah, um, yeah. You, you you could get away with it, I think. Uh, that's where albums, you had Lenny Bruce albums and stuff, didn't you, as well? You did, yes. Um, of course, there's there's the, the, the oft-repeated... Uh, sequence from this episode where Sellers talks about the inspiration for Blue Bottle's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact he does, he, he mentions in passing Larry Stevens mm-hmm. in terms of writing scripts. And he says something like, Poor Larry, poor Larry, or something like that, you know. Uh, mentions Monty Python, that, that he admires Monty Python and John Wells. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, and it's it's again it's you know he's on form he's Sellers is happy to be there. There's no there's no indication that he's been not that he would you know if the, if there was any possibility that he was unhappy about being there he wouldn't be there. You know, <laughs> um, he'd have pulled out. Mm. I'm sure. But overall, no, it's a, it's a great show. But it's not it's not quite as enjoyable, I don't think, as the as the the solo Sellers interview from two years later. No, I, I think you know. I, I think the, I don't think that's necessarily doing down the Parkinson meets the goons. I just think the Sellers one is exceptional. Yes, and you know, and as I say, I don't. I think Parkinson uh, would almost certainly have. Well, would certainly put it up there in one of the top interviews. Certainly from that run of the show. I mean, it just it kind of typically always gets sort of flagged up as being that. And I think, though, thinking about it, I don't think did I look for this or not. One of the things that's really noticeable is that apart from a few comments along the lines of Parkinson was sucking up to Peter Sellers, you know, that kind of comment uh, that I saw in in passing in newspapers, there weren't really, it's not the kind of program that got reviewed particularly. No. uh, Parkinson, or very rarely anyway, maybe if they, when they had Bronofsky on or something like that, Mm. they might have. Dane to do something but it wasn't something that typically got reviewed so again it's just like what kind of cultural impact it had but what I don't think I did look at is whether or not newspapers following Sellers death did any reviews of it uh as a repeat probably unlikely because they didn't tend to no. review repeats but they may there may have been something in the newspapers but I didn't I didn't get around to looking at that uh to see what kind of impact yeah. it had but no I think it's I think it's a great it's a great one Brilliant. Um, well, John, thank you. Thank you so much. And and um, you mentioned earlier the Encyclopedia Goonicus. I'd just like to do a quick uh, plug for the Goon Show Preservation Society again, because uh, it's doing brilliant things in terms of keeping uh, the goons alive. And uh, if you become a member, which I think is something like um, something like £12 a year, something like that, some ridiculous sum like that, um you can then get access you still have to pay a little bit more but you get access to the encyclopedia gunicus which is a huge resource isn't it and, and it's an amazing amount of content on it's, that uh, it's absolutely staggering i uh yeah partly well because of this podcast 
I suddenly thought I'd join that and got the uh, Gunicus and it's uh, just ridiculously rich resource. It's got everything. I mean, I'm a sucker for things like programs, broadcast documentation and and uh, the old kind of original scripts it's got in there as well, hasn't it? It's just got a ton of stuff. It's got every show, every iteration of, you know, shows and so many interviews and so many, anything that's got a goon connection, you know, newspaper archives. There's all the uh, Goon Show Preservation Society newsletters going back to 1972. Mm-hmm. There's film recordings. There's everything. And, and it's invaluable for this show. And the website for the Goon Show Preservation Society has had an incredible revamp mm-hmm. and uh, and reboot, uh, particularly by uh, Duncan Gray, who's done sterling work. And it's uh, you can see that it's um, it's at uh, goonshow.org. But yeah, if if you haven't already joined the, the GSPS and you can get the Goonicus and it will be uh, one of the best investments you make this year. Um, so Jonathan, thank you. Thank you again so much for, for your time. And, uh, I'd like to get you back some point in the future, if you'd be up for it. And, 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 and if you were to come back, you know, is there any, I don't know, goon show or, or film or anything like that, that you would fancy covering? Ooh, ooh, you put me on the spot there. Uh, maybe a Sellers film that hasn't been covered yet, or, or maybe some of the outer reaches of the Milligan world. I don't know. <laughs> okay that might be that might, not the melting pot though before you no 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 there's 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 two tv series that we will never cover um melting pot and highway um probably, <laughs> probably curry and chips i was <laughs> gonna say i thought you were gonna say melting pot and curry and chips but yeah highway i, I wasn't gonna go there don't worry <laughs> listen john it's been great thank you so much and uh, we will definitely speak again okay thanks tyler <laughs>